There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Good, good, good. <laughs> How many of you think you got a happy Christian seated somewhere near you? Would you raise your hand? That's good. Would to God the whole world thought we were happy Christians. Talk about the goodness of God. Uh, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I believe that. Let's open the word of God together, shall we? Would you find your place again in the book of Acts and Acts chapter number 8? And while you're finding your place, let me ask, how many of you read this chapter today? Would you raise your hand? Very good. I commend you for doing your homework. Uh, we are studying through the life of Philip, the only man in the Bible called the evangelist. Not because he was the only one, but because he's a prototype, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. He is the Lord's object lesson to all of us. And it's not just an evangelist like you might think, a guy who travels around preaching sermons. This was a man who was so consumed with Jesus, he was given to the gospel. And I want to say to you, that's not for some of us, that's for all of us. And we began on the Lord's Day in Acts chapter number 6, and we pitched our tent and camped there for a little while, and we learned something first about Philip the Christian, because before you can tell others about Jesus, you've got to know Jesus. And we found out that the Lord had radically changed his life. And then last evening, we turned our attention to this chapter, Acts chapter number 8, and we got just a glimpse of a man who was passionate about pointing others to Jesus. Might I just ask before we read, let me just ask, how many of you had the opportunity since last night to give a testimony, give a gospel track, speak a word for the Lord, witness to anybody in the last 24 hours? Would you raise your hand, please? Big and high, big and high, keep it up. That's wonderful. Now listen to me, church, and you say, man, that's putting us on the spot. It's going to be worse than that at the judgment seat of Christ. And I want you to understand that our window is closing, time is short, eternity is long, Jesus is coming, and if God's people are going to get the gospel out and get sinners in, this is our moment. We'll never have it again. You understand we're never going to have this moment ever again. And I, everywhere I travel, I'm hearing Christian people talking about how bad things are. Maybe we need to stop talking about how bad things are and start talking about how good Jesus is again. I've heard people say, well, you know, it's never been this bad before. Friends, you ought to buy a history book. That's what you ought to do. Uh, let, let me recommend Fox's Book of Martyrs to you. That'd be a good one. We're going to be pretty ashamed when we stand next to the martyrs at the judgment seat and tell them what a rough time we had with our culture, aren't we? See, when the Lord said evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, he never said his gospel power would wax any less and less. We must return to the one thing Jesus left us here to do, and that is point people to Christ. And so, look at Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. We get this picture of the persecution that comes. 
I had you mark in your Bible in verse 1 and again in verse 4 the word scattered. Could I remind you that while it seems circumstances are scattering, God was gathering. I love that. So while they were being scattered everywhere, the Lord's work was being done and people were being brought to Jesus Christ. Isn't that just like the Lord to do that? He preaches the gospel, Philip does, in Samaria. A great revival breaks out. And then right in the middle of all of that, the Lord interrupts. Isn't it wonderful when Jesus butts in, when the Lord steps into something? Notice, please, beginning in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Now, I'm sure that was just a coincidence. Don't you think that was a coincidence? By the good providence of God and divine appointment, oh, don't you love to see the divine intersections? The Lord has awakened a man. I don't know what awakened him. Something did. Something in Jerusalem had seen. Something in his heart, the work of God drawing him. He's searching. He's a seeker. And at that very moment, the Lord sends a speaker by to intersect with the seeker. Don't you know that the seekers need a speaker? That those who are hungry, who are looking, need somebody to open their mouth and say, I know the answer to that question. Let me tell you about Jesus. The Bible says in verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which you read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? That's a good question, isn't it? Who will speak of him? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? I've marked in my Bible, somebody showed me this years ago, in verse 27 you have a man In verse 31, you have some man, and in verse 34, you have some other man. Do you see the three men in this passage? In verse 27, you have a man who's a sinner who needs Jesus. He's lost. He needs the gospel. In verse 34, you have some other man who's the God-man, the perfect man, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of mankind. And sandwiched between the two, in verse 31, you have some man that must guide him. I love this thought that in between the, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, and lost humanity, God has strategically placed, look please, some man, some woman, some young person that knows God, and what's our job? We're just traffic cops. That's all we are. We're traffic cops along the highway of life saying, look, that's a dead-end street. Don't take that. Look, here's the way. Walk in it. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And so Philip is pointing him to Christ. 
Notice, please, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Dear Lord, let us get our mouths open again. And began at the same scripture <laughs> and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, boom, caught away Philip. Somebody said, that's strange. It is a little strange, isn't it? It's kind of like the disciples' boat suddenly being at the other side of the lake. Let me tell you one more strange than that. You're going to get caught away someday. Now, you think, you think this is fascinating. Wake till all the children of God get caught up to be with the Lord forever. The Lord can do what he wants to do. And the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and I love this expression, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through. <laughs> he couldn't help himself, could he? He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, last evening, I had you mark in verse 31, some man should guide me. And I, I talked to you about becoming a gospel guide. That's what a soul winner is. That's what a witness is, just a gospel guide. You don't have to have all the answers. You just got to know the gospel. Now, you, don't have to, you don't have to do everything and answer every question, fix every problem. You just got to guide people to God, and the Lord will do the rest. But tonight, I draw your attention to something different in this passage. Maybe I should say someone different. Because you see, the main character here is not Philip. You think it's Philip. It's not Philip. And the main character here is not the Ethiopian eunuch. It's not the Ethiopian eunuch. It really, the Lord's the main character in every story. The rest of us, we're all just kind of supporting characters, you see, in, in the divine drama. Here's who I'd like you to see tonight. Would you take your pen and mark in verse 29, the Spirit said. The Spirit said. And then when you come to verse number 39 and mark the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip. This is fascinating to me. Like bookends on the story. At the front and at the end, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the book of Acts, this is the book where the Holy Spirit has come to indwell every believer. On the day of Pentecost, uh, for the very first time, the Spirit of the living God came to live inside of every believer. The Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You don't get God on the installment plan. When you receive God as your Father and Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit as your companion. And the Holy Spirit is not separate from the Father and the Son. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's not an it. He's a him, a real person. And he is God living inside of you. That's a glorious thought to me. He is the comforter. He is the spirit of truth. He really is the guide. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how Philip could guide others to God. Because he was a God-guided man himself. He was a man willing to follow the guide, and only when you follow the guide can you lead others and guide others along the path. This was a man who understood the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, I want to say tonight, I'm testifying now, I love the Holy Spirit. I do love him. He lives in me. He lives in me. It's pretty sad, pretty sad the Holy Spirit can live in you your whole life and we neglect to even think of him. How many days do you think about the Holy Spirit? 
When was the last time you spoke to him? He's a real person, isn't he? Why is it that people having the Spirit of God living inside of them can give mental assent to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and say, oh, yes, we believe he is co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. He is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We all nod our heads and say amen, don't we? But when was the last time you lived with a consciousness that your life was being guided by the person of the Holy Spirit of God? That's not spooky or mystical, friend. It's spiritual, but it's a reality for the child of God. See, there are these extremes. On one hand, you have these people who've gone beyond Scripture, and so they've gotten into all kinds of nonsense. And watch this. Like a pendulum, we've swung to the other end of the spectrum. We've fallen short of Scripture. We've gotten so scared by all the foolishness that we have missed the fact that is given to us in the Word of God. And so I'd like you to write this down tonight somewhere in the margin of your Bible. The Holy Spirit and me. That's what I'm preaching on, the Holy Spirit and me. You see, I don't think this story is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. No, no. This is the story of the Holy Spirit and Philip. You see, the spiritual relationship is the one that guides and guards all the other relationships. Let me show you something. Turn back in the chapter for just a minute and look at the ministry of Philip in Samaria. Remember, he's preaching and people are getting saved. Look at verse number 7 and verse number 8. And notice what marked the ministry of this man. In verse number 7, it says that unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the power of God. And then you come to verse number 8. Read verse 8 with me, church. I like this verse. Ready? And there was great joy in that city. Watch this. In verse 7, you got power, and in verse 8, you got joy. You know what those two things are marks of? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is no power without the power of the Holy Spirit, and there is no joy without it being the fruit of the Spirit. Watch, please. And Philip's ministry from the very beginning was marked by the blessed Holy Spirit. If we had time, I'd walk you through this chapter and show you that there was a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. For example, there was a whole lot of people that didn't know the Holy Spirit at all. That's why Peter and John had to show up to teach them about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Remember, this is a transitional passage, so they represent a whole group of people that totally miss the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, totally miss the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Then you got a guy named Simon that says, hey, 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 I like this power. Can I buy the Holy Spirit's power? <laughs> no. The answer to that question is no. Watch this. So you've got one group of people that ignore the Holy Spirit, and then you've got some people that want to use the Holy Spirit. May I just tell you, the Holy Spirit is not to be used. He is to use you. But there's one man in this passage. His name is Philip, who understood that the Holy Spirit of God was with him, that he could do nothing without the enabling of the Holy Spirit, but that through the Holy Spirit's power, God could do more than he ever could. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need some Christians to get awake again to the Holy Ghost of God that lives inside of them and to believe that the power and joy of the Holy Spirit is just as much for us as it was for the first century Christians. I'm going to tell you what a lost world needs right now. It doesn't need nicer church buildings and more programs. and It needs to meet some people that actually have the Holy Spirit of God consuming their life and lifting up the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come to this truth, not of, not of him and the Holy Spirit. Let's make it personal, of the Holy Spirit and me. Let's walk through the story, beginning with me, please, in verse number 26. The Bible says, 
the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. Now, this is fascinating to me. The angel speaks in verse 26. I don't know who the angel was. Was it Gabriel? Was it Michael? Was it uh, just some normal angel, if there is such a thing from heaven? The word means messenger. Uh, did, did Philip know that it, was, uh, that it was an angel from heaven or was it a messenger that the Lord was speaking through on earth? I don't know the answer to all that. All I know is God got his attention and God got him the message. Watch, please. We move from verse 26 where the angel of the Lord speaks to verse number 29 where the Spirit of God speaks. Would you please not miss this? The most important voice you hear is not the voice of the messenger. It is the voice of God himself. You know one of the great dangers in special meetings? People think a messenger will show up and have something good to say. And sometimes we get so fixed on the messenger, we miss the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've started praying, Lord, if there is something even in my delivery that is a distraction from the truth of the Word of God, if there's something... In the, way, in the way I'm even presenting it that would in some way draw attention to, to me or to some other thing instead of to you, please, dear God, please cut that out of my life and ministry. I'm going to tell you why. This is serious business to me. I, I could care less if you remember my name. I want you to know when you leave here tonight, I heard from God tonight. My sermon's meaningless. I don't care if you remember my outline. It's meaningless. I'm going to tell you what I want. I want us all to know, including the man speaking to you right now, that we have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us. How many of you believe God still speaks? Do you believe that? Look, the problem is not that the Spirit of God doesn't speak. The problem is that there are very few people who are on heaven's frequency in tune enough with God to receive what it is that God is relaying to us. Yes, the Holy Ghost speaks. So here's the first truth. Would you write it down? The first thing we see here is his openness to the Holy Spirit. Philip was wide open to God. Are you wide open to God? Let me ask you a question. How loud does the Holy Ghost have to speak to get your attention? You know what? Every Christian in this room ought to be praying right now. Dear Lord, let me get so close to you that if the Holy Ghost just whispers to me, I will know that God is speaking to my heart. We get so cold and calloused and indifferent. We get so enamored with this world and distracted. We get so everlasting, stinking busy that we miss what God is trying to say to us. I'm thinking about my own life. I wonder how many days I've stumbled and bumbled my way through trying to make something of the day, trying to get something done, and I missed God in the process of it all. May the Lord give us the heart and the spirit of Philip that said, Dear God, just speak to me, and whatever you say, the answer is yes. You think Philip understood all this? Absolutely not. You think Philip understood why he had to leave Samaria and go out to the desert? No. You think Philip understood why he had to leave the masses and go find one man? Absolutely not. But God's ways are higher than ours and God's thoughts are higher than ours. And when God says something, that ought to be enough. And I wonder, are you that open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Can the Lord lead and guide and direct you? Or is your life so planned out that there's no room for the Holy Spirit? 
I was meditating on this today, how the Holy Spirit caught him away, just like the wind came and caught him away. And my mind went to John chapter 3 when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is like wind and the wind bloweth where it listeth and you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. It's real. You can't can't harness all of that. G. Campbell Morgan said, you can't organize a revival, but you can lift your sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit when he chooses to blow from heaven. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need some of God's people to get their sails up. That's what we need. To say, Holy Spirit, it doesn't have to be my way. Whatever you say, whatever you want, whatever you choose to do, I am wide open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. It dawned on me as I read through this passage again that Philip was not alone in the desert. Somebody said, you mean the eunuch was out there? Oh, no, I mean before he ever saw the chariot. He was not alone in the desert because the Holy Spirit was with him. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't leave you or forsake you? And I don't know who I'm preaching to. I have no idea who I'm speaking to, to tonight. There's probably somebody in this room right now, you think you're in the desert. You're out there all by yourself in some barren wasteland. You're wondering what God's up to. I just want to remind you that the Holy Ghost is with you right where you are in the desert. And do you remember when, when the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for that 40-day temptation? We get the idea. The only people out there were the wild beast and the devil who was tempting him, and then the angels that came in the end to minister him. I say to you, the Holy Spirit was with our Lord Jesus through that entire wilderness temptation. I can prove it to you. Read the gospel according to Luke. He is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and he comes out of the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit's power. The Spirit of God was with him in that desert. The Spirit of God was with Philip in his desert, and the Spirit of God is with you in your desert. In fact, I wonder sometimes if God doesn't put us in the desert just so he will remove all the distractions and get open to him again. And so number one, there's the openness to the Holy Spirit. Number two, write this down please, there is the obedience to the Holy Spirit. When you come to verse number 29, the Spirit said unto Philip, and by the way, later in the same book, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to the whole church in chapter 13, and say, touch these men, anoint these men, and send them out as my missionaries. The Spirit of God speaks to individuals and to churches. He says to him, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And I love verse 30. Oh, Mark, verse 30 in your Bible and in your heart. And Philip ran thither to him. Would you mark the word ran? We got too many loafers today. That's what we got. Excuse me. We got too many spiritual pokers. That's what we got. The Holy Spirit speaks, I'll think about that. Yeah, well, that's disobedience. The Holy Spirit prompts you about something. I'm going to tell you what obedience is. Yes, sir, Lord, right now. I was preaching one night at a meeting on a Wednesday night. Gave invitation. People came to pray. We were having a sweet invitation. I finished my part, gave it to the pastor. He came. I'd, I'd seen the woman, a young wife and mother, had left her place and come forward weeping to pray. One of the ladies prayed with her. And the pastor called her name into the service. And everybody knew her. And he said, Sister so-and-so has come tonight to say that she's been saved, but she'd never been scripturally baptized since she was saved. Believer's baptism, like, like the Ethiopian man was baptized in this passage. And, and everybody thought she had been, but she hadn't been, and she knew it. And he said to her, God bless you for your humility and your honesty, sister. We'll take care of that on the Lord's day. I'll never forget it as long as I live. She raised her hand, interrupted the preacher. She said, no, sir. He looked at her kind of puzzled, and, and he said, uh, on Sunday, she said, no, sir. She said, I can't go to bed tonight till I get baptized. 
He said, well, I appreciate that heart, but the water's cold. We haven't warmed it up. It's not ready for baptism. She raised her hand again, tears streamed in her face. She said, I don't care if it's freezing cold. She said, I've gone to bed every night for weeks knowing I've disobeyed God, and I don't want to go to bed again until I've obeyed what God's told me to do. You know what we did? We all sat down and watched her get baptized in freezing cold water. Somebody said, that's crazy. That's obedience to the Holy Spirit. You want to see a real spiritual awakening? You want to see a revival? I'm going to tell you how to have one. You ready? You don't need better sermons. You don't need longer meetings. You don't need better programs. You need to be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit of God. And you let any child of God get thoroughly right with God and say, whatever God says, the answer is yes. Yes, Lord, yes. I tell you that's a Christian that will know the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. And Philip was a man who was obedient it was immediate obedience, and it was enthusiastic obedience. Don't you love this? I don't know how old Philip was, but he ran. He took off running. There was no hesitancy, no tentativeness. I'll tell you, in the last few months, excuse me, in the last two or three years especially in our churches, I've never seen so much apathy in my life. Listen to me, church. We're going to be ashamed when we stand before God and try to explain why we let circumstances and culture determine the intensity and fervency of our faith in the last days of the church. It is a privilege to live near the end of the story on the verge of hearing the trumpet sound. And I tell you, it is high time God's people started obeying the Holy Spirit with some holy enthusiasm again. And so there's the openness to the Holy Spirit. There's the obedience to the Holy Spirit. Let me show you a third one. Notice the objective of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about Philip. We get so selfish about our own Christianity, don't we? It's all about us. It wasn't about Philip. It was about this man being saved and knowing who Christ was. And then beyond that, the ripple effect, what could be set in motion, what God could do out of this, this divine appointment. If you begin in verse number 30, all the way down to verse number 35, let me summarize it. Do you know what the Holy Spirit did? He lifted up Jesus. Would you write this down somewhere? The number one ministry of the Holy Ghost is to glorify Christ. If you hear people talking about the Holy Spirit and they don't want to talk about Jesus, I tell you, they don't know the Holy Spirit. All this nonsense that wants to glorify the Spirit and doesn't want to talk about Jesus, I tell you, that is not of God. When the Holy Spirit opens his mouth, guess what he wants to talk about? Jesus. And when a Spirit-filled Christian opens their mouth, guess what they want to talk about? Jesus. Matter of fact, last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Isn't that interesting? The bride is supposed to be saying the exact same thing the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about. He wants to talk about the loveliness of Christ. Let me prove it. Hold your place. Just, we're coming right back. Let's take a 60-second detour, all right? Turn back to John 15 with me for just a minute. I told you that the word guide here in Acts 8 is the same word that's used for the guiding of the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 13. But look at the verses that follow. John chapter 16, verse number 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Please don't miss this. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Read verse 14 with me, church. Ready? He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus said he's just going to take the things of Christ and he's going to tell you about them. I claim this when I stand to preach. I say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, guide us in all truth now. Oh, Holy Ghost, show us Jesus now. 
You know why? Because I need the Holy Spirit. But I don't just need him when I'm preaching, brother. I need him every day of my life. Go back to Acts chapter number 8. Let me show you something really interesting. Did you ever notice that the Spirit speaking was in direct correlation with the Word of God being read? Now, that's interesting to me. What is this book? This is God's It's His breath. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God's very person, God's wind, every perfection emanating out of God. Look, this is the Holy Spirit-inspired book. Let me tell you what this book is we're studying tonight. Look, God's people need to fall in love with their Bible again. That's what needs to happen. When was the last time you read through the Bible? What portion of the Bible are you meditating in right now? What section of Scripture is just coming alive in your soul right now? I tell you, you want to see the Holy Spirit work? You can never separate the Spirit and the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. What is this? This is the Word of truth. This is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I love this thought. The Holy Spirit's ministry was directly connected to the work of the Word of God. Did it ever dawn on you that when Philip running alongside the chariot, that's a, that's a funny picture, isn't it? Running alongside the chariot, he hears this guy reading Isaiah. Now, you know, it's funny, but we, we read Scripture and miss the most obvious things. If he hears him reading Isaiah, what does that presuppose? Number one, the man was reading out loud. Is that right? Now, just I didn't even plan to say this, but let me just time out and give you a footnote here for a second. You want to get more out of the Word of God? Don't skim it like you do the headlines looking for some little quick something. Read it out loud and read it meditatively. Let's take a survey. How many of you ever read the Bible and found yourself terribly distracted or going to sleep? Would you raise your hand, please? Come on, get them up big and high. Makes me feel better about myself. I appreciate it. You know what I've discovered? When I read my Bible out loud, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my mind are all working together, and it helps me to concentrate on the Word of God. But this is the thing that struck me. Did it ever dawn on you that in order for Philip to start at the same Scripture and preach to him Jesus, watch this please, Philip had to already know that Scripture. I mean, that's so obvious, but I don't know how I missed that all this time. But can you imagine you just meet a guy on the street, he's reading in the middle of the Old Testament somewhere, somewhere in the prophets, and he says, could you explain this to me? And Philip says, oh, yeah, let me tell you about who that's about. You know how that's possible? Because Philip was a man who lived in the Scriptures so saturated with the Word of God that when he opened his mouth, God's truth came out of him. I'm going to tell you what we need. Now, this is going to sound really basic. We need an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, devil-defeating, sin-killing revival of Bible reading. That's what we need. God's people just reading the Bible again, getting so acquainted with the Scriptures, and more than that, with the Christ of the Scriptures, so when these moments come, you can open your mouth and the Spirit of God will speak through you. I'm just telling you, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like being in a situation where you don't know what to say, but the Holy Ghost brings Scriptures to your memory and tells you exactly what to say so you can point somebody to Jesus Christ. It's the most thrilling thing on planet Earth. I'm telling you that the objective of the Holy Spirit is to lift up Jesus through the Word of God, which means we've got to study the Word, and we've got to share the Word, and we've got to get in step with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you one more. Would you write it down? 
maybe two. We'll see how time permits. Would you write down the order of the Holy Spirit? The divine order of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep reading, would you please? Notice the divine progression here. Philip comes in verse number 30 and asks a question. I love that. Probing, opening the door. Verse number 32, they read the scripture together. Verse number 34, what happens? The man starts asking questions. That's always a good indicator. God's working on somebody. Verse number 35, so simple, just so simple. Just preach Jesus. (laughs) Just preach Jesus. How many of you know we're living in a complicated age right now? People have questions. Has anybody else noticed everybody wants to argue right now? And you know what God's people have done? We've retreated into ourselves. That's right. We've kind of recoiled in a corner and said, well, we're just going to hold on to Jesus comes because it's bad out there. Nonsense. Let me tell you what every one of God's children can do, and it's the only thing God told you to do. God didn't tell you to win the arguments and have the answer to every question. God didn't make us debaters. God made us witnesses. The one thing every person in this room can do is open your mouth and talk about Jesus. And you know what I've discovered? I love the expression Paul talks about the simplicity that is in Christ. Oh, and the complexities of our age and the complicated world that we're living in. Did you know there is one thing that cuts right to the heart and it cuts right through all the mess and all the junk in our world? You know what it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He just preached Jesus to him. Don't you know this Ethiopian man who had been exposed to false religion probably had some crazy, nonsensical ideas from down in Ethiopia? Don't you know that's probably true? Don't you know he's already been to Jerusalem and has been exposed to all the empty religion and all the empty worship up there, so now he's really confused. Oh, I love this. The Word of God was more than enough to meet this man's spiritual needs. Simon, the Word of God answered the question. Remember that? Demon-possessed man earlier, the Word of God dealt with him. This man's confusion, the Word of God dealt with him. This is the way the Holy Spirit works, you see. Keep reading. Verse 36, now the eunuch says, See, here's water. What hath hindered me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. How do you think that man that quickly believed that Jesus was the Son of God? I'm going to tell you how. The Holy Spirit did what only the Holy Spirit could do. It wasn't Philip's oratorical ability. Somebody said, he must have been quite a persuasive man. No, he was a spirit-filled man. But the Holy Ghost who gave him boldness. By the way, who is Philip? Philip's a nobody. Philip's Philip's just a little little ordinary fella. Who is this man? He's a great man of Ethiopia. He's the treasurer of the queen. He's sitting in a very fine chariot. What gave that man the right to come up next to that great man and tell him he needed a Savior? I'll tell you, you get filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost will give you boldness you do not have on your own. And so as the man speaks to him about Jesus, I love this, the Holy Ghost works on both ends. May I say to you, the same Holy Spirit that will give you wisdom to know what to say and the boldness to say it will bring conviction in the heart of the person you are speaking to as you depend on the work of the Holy Spirit of God. This has helped me as a preacher. I'm just I'm, I'm testifying a little bit tonight. But I don't have to preach a good sermon. Whew. I don't have to preach a good sermon tonight. I don't have to impress you. I don't have to do that. 
All I have to do is open this book and tell you the truth and depend on the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know what I believe? I'm preaching in faith tonight. I believe that the same Holy Ghost that's teaching me these things as I'm meditating and studying and preparing is now opening it to you and igniting something on the inside of you. Look, this is not what man can do. This is what only God can do. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In verse number 38, he baptized him. I like that. Verse 39, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. You see, in verse 29, you have the word of the Spirit. And in verse 39, you have the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, don't miss this. He is speaking and he is working. He caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. You ever wonder why that needed to be? Somebody said, well, it seems to me he would have left him there for a six-week discipleship course. Well, that's the Holy Spirit's business. But you know what I think? I think it's a vivid reminder to all of us that people don't need us. They need Jesus. And in a moment of time, the messenger was gone. Oh, watch this. But the same Holy Spirit that lived inside Philip had come to live inside of this man. Would you write one more, Dan? Just one more. We see here not just the openness to the Holy Spirit and the obedience to the Holy Spirit and the objective of the Holy Spirit and the order of the Holy Spirit, but number five, look at the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how the Holy Spirit didn't just lead him to the desert and speak to him in verse 29 and help him know what to say to answer the man's questions? But look, please, in verse 39, the Holy Spirit is continuing to lead and guide this man's life. Look, to be led of the Spirit is not an event. It's a way of life. Romans 8 said, we're to be led of the Spirit of God. The children of God, the sons of God are to be led of the Spirit of God. You know what led means? It presupposes we're following. And to be led means you do more than take one step. How many of you ever took a step of obedience to the Holy Spirit in your whole life? Would you raise your hand, please? Well, if you got saved, you took at least one. How many of you have been baptized since you were saved? Then you took two. How many of you have ever prayed and seen an answer to prayer? Would you raise your hand, please? Well, then you've taken three. How many of you have ever read the Word of God and know God has spoken to you through it? Would you raise your hand? Well, then you've taken at least four. How many of you have ever witnessed anybody and seen them come to know Christ as their Savior at some point? Would you raise your hand? Well, you've taken at least five. Congratulations. You know the problem with most of us? Most of us, the last step of obedience we took to the Holy Spirit was long ago. You give me a church full of new converts any day. Any day. You want to know why that is? Because young converts are so wide open to the work of the Holy Spirit and willing to obey. And excuse me, I'm going to tell you who the hardest people are to get to move forward for Jesus. People have been saved a long time. We've heard that before. And we've been down that path before. I meet people and they say, oh, preacher, i got 50 years of experience with the Lord. Then you get talking to them about their Christianity, and you find out they don't have 50 years of experience with the Lord. They got 25 years of experience with the Lord because 25 years ago, they stopped following. They used to obey and take the next step, and then finally one day, they got to a place, and the Holy Spirit said, this is the next step for you. And they said, hey, hey, that's far enough. And they drew a line in the sand, and they stopped moving forward. Could I just ask you, where are you stuck? What's the last thing the Holy Spirit told you to do you didn't do? He said, oh, it was small, preacher. Yeah, I'd say Philip probably thought it was small to go out to the desert too. There's nothing small when God says it. 
And if we want to see the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take some of God's children saying, every day I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. I'm going to stretch myself out on my bed in the morning, make that bed an altar, and say to God, God, thank you for letting me live to see another day. And Holy Ghost of God, I'm all yours today. You lead me, and I will follow wherever you go. This is what it means to boil all of life down to the Holy Spirit in me. Would you like to know what the great end result of that is? I love this expression in verse 39. He went on his way rejoicing. I was chewing on this today. I wish I knew the right answer. I really wish I knew the answer. You you know, they say you don't raise a question if you don't know the answer, but I'm going to. Which one of them went on their way rejoicing? Yeah, I think both. I think, in the grammar of the verse, I think I'm right about this. I think it's the Ethiopian eunuch. But I'm going to guarantee you one thing. When Philip went on preaching the rest of those cities and ended up down in Caesarea, he's still rejoicing too. You know why? Because the way of the Spirit is the way of great joy. So many miserable Christians today. Yeah, honestly, just miserable. I wouldn't want what they got either. I preached out west years ago. A youth meeting, I think it was on the West Coast somewhere. It was one of those meetings, <laughs> they wore us out. They just wore us out. And I don't remember how many times I'd spoken, but I was just mentally wasted, physically exhausted, spiritually drained. I was flying home late on a Saturday night trying to get home for Sunday services. And I got on a plane, I'll never forget this, I got on a plane, and I literally prayed as I got on the plane, Dear Lord, please don't let me have to talk to anybody on this flight. I really did. And I walked on the plane. It was a Saturday night flight, and I thought, praise God. There was hardly anybody on the plane. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And I went back and found a seat. I don't remember if it was my seat or not. It didn't matter. There was just a few of us on the plane. And I sat down, and the plane took off, and I laid my seat back, and I went to sleep. And about 20 minutes later, I woke up. I wish I could tell you that I always wake up with spiritual thoughts. I usually don't, at least not to the second cup of coffee, but I did that particular moment. I woke up under conviction. You ever have that happen? I had just preached several times and taught the Bible, and we'd seen people say, but I woke up under conviction. It dawned on me just out of the blue that it had been a while since I had personally talked to somebody about their soul. And witness to it. Do you understand it's easier to preach this than it is to live it? So you can get up and preach about witnessing all you want to, but being a witness, now that's another thing. So off the cuff, I said to the Lord, be careful what you say to the Lord. I said to the Lord, well, Lord, if you give me somebody, I'll speak to them. At that moment, I'm finally getting awake. I look across the way. I didn't realize uh, there was a man directly across the aisle from me. And there wasn't 10 of us on the whole plane. He's sitting directly across the aisle from me. Looked like a businessman, well-dressed, engaged in his work. And the Holy Spirit said, there you go. And I tried to get the man's attention, and I couldn't get his attention. So I said to the Holy Spirit, that's not him. Not the one. And the Holy Spirit said, you said, if I gave you somebody, you'd speak to them. 
Yes. I reached across the aisle. I don't like doing this. I reached across the aisle. I tapped the man on the shoulder. He turned and looked at me. I extended my hand, and I said, Sir, my name's Scott Paula. You don't know me, but I, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I said, I, I just want to give you something to read about knowing Jesus and, and ask you if you know the Lord. He spoke to me for the first time. Good English, but very evidently from another part of the world. And he said, no, sir, I'm not a Christian. He said, I am from Persia. And I said, as in Iran? He said, yes. It was stupid, really dumb. You know, you're trying to think of what to say. I said, what's your religious background? I knew what the man's religious background was. And he said to me, I'm a Muslim. Now the wheels are turning. Now I'm thinking, Holy Spirit, what would you get me into here? Flying along at 30,000 feet, and now i got to get engaged in this. While I was thinking of what to say, the man spoke. He looked at me, very articulate. He looked at me, and he said, Would you like to know the difference between my religion and your religion? And I thought, Oh, brother, here we go. And this is what the man said. He said, My religion teaches me to kill my enemies. But your religion teaches you to love your enemies he said could you answer something for me what's the difference I said I'm glad you asked we started talking about Jesus and the love of God forgiveness and mercy what God does in the heart that he comes into I wish you could have watched that man's countenance change he said to me, I'm a dentist. He said, I, I, I practice some here and some in the Middle East. I go back and forth, back and forth. He said, I've been wondering about this. I've been thinking about this. I've been seeking something. Plane landed. We got off the plane together, and I said to the man, I said, you have a layover? He said, I do. I said, I do too. I've got a few minutes. I said, let's sit down over here in the corner of the terminal and talk. I think we are in Memphis Airport, and we, we sat down over in the corner together. I'll never forget it. And I got my Bible out. And just the two of us, we sat over there in the corner and had us a Bible study. And after a few minutes, I said to my new friend, I said, would you like to know Jesus as your Savior? He said, oh, I would like to know him. And he bowed his head in an airport terminal. I called on the Lord for salvation. I wish you could see that man. I can see him. I can see him right now. I can see him walking away from me. He had his flight to catch. I can see him. He's got a bag in one hand and a briefcase in the other, and he's swinging both of them walking down that terminal. You know what I thought? He went on his way rejoicing. But may I tell you, he wasn't the only one. Because the Lord reminded me of something that night, and I shudder to think. I shudder to think how many of those I've missed. I really do. I shudder to think for every prompting I've obeyed, how many I was even oblivious to. But the Holy Spirit reminded me, if I would just listen to Him and obey Him, there is no telling what God could do. Our Father, we thank You for Jesus. We'd be lost without Him. 
But I want to thank you for the sweet Holy Spirit because without him, I wouldn't even know Jesus. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. I love you. Thank you for bringing God to me. All of heaven's resources into my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Teach me what it means to follow thy promptings. Find in this place tonight some obedient people. And set much in motion for eternity. We sit prayerfully, our heads and hearts bowed before God. How many of you know, I don't mean you think, I don't mean you're a church member. How many of you know that Jesus is your Savior and the Holy Spirit lives in your heart? You know you're really a Christian. I want you to raise your hand high in the air with mine. Keep it up just a moment. You say, I know that, preacher. I know that. All right, I want to ask you, what's that mean to you then? What should that mean to you? You may lower your hands for a moment, and I must ask this question. Is there anybody here tonight, anybody, even a single person, that would say, Preacher, I'm, I'm seeking, I, I'm, I'm searching for some answers myself because I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not certain that my sins have been forgiven and that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I don't know God in a personal way like that, but I want to. Preacher, I'm not ready to go to heaven, but I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. No one else is looking. I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine long enough for me to see it. Then pull it back down and say, pray for me, preacher. I need to be saved. That's what I really need. I need the Lord in my life. Pray for me. Anyone at all. Then best I can tell tonight, I'm speaking to believers. So let's just get right to the bottom line, shall we? Number one. How many Christians in this room would say, Preacher, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus is my Savior. But I cannot tell you that I'm really following the promptings and leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life at this time, and I'm convicted of it. I realize tonight that the Lord wants all there is of me, not a part of me. And He wants me every day, not just some days. And the Lord's after me. That's me. Pray for me. I want you to raise your hand with mine right now, would you please? Yeah, that's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. I'm going to ask you in a minute to lead the way in telling God that. Let me ask a second question. Let's get real specific. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. I'm not your priest. If you need to tell somebody tonight, tell somebody. But first, you ought to tell Jesus. How many of you in this room would say, Preacher, there's some step of obedience I need to take that I've not yet taken. It could be something I need to stop or it could be something I need to start. It could be on either side. But there's something the Holy Spirit's been after me about, prompting me about, put His finger on in my life again tonight that I need to do. I, I know exactly what it is. It's not general. It's specific. Pray that I'll obey the Lord. I want you to raise your hand with mine right now, would you please? That's wonderful. Could I challenge you? Do it tonight. Do not wait till tomorrow. Do it while the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart to do it. Obey God tonight. One final question. I'll raise my hand first. How many Christians here would say, Preacher, I'm ashamed that I have not been the bold, spirit-empowered witness that I ought to be and that I could be. But if God will help me, I want to be. And I want this week to be a new beginning for me as a Christian witness. I want the Holy Spirit to speak through me. Pray God would use me that way. Would you raise your hand with mine all around? Amen to that. Here's what we're going to do. No music, just prayer. 
In the Bible, you don't find people sitting around praying. I, I'm not against it. I pray driving down the road. Uh, but the posture you find in Scripture, people sincerely seeking the Lord, is one of two things. First, you see people on their face, kneeling. The other is you see people on their feet, as if in the presence of royalty, in the presence of the king. In a moment... I'm going to ask everybody in this room that knows God's speaking to you to spend a few minutes talking to Him. And here's what I'm going to ask. If you are physically able to get on your knees, I'm going to challenge you to get on your knees tonight. I mean by that if you're able to get down and get back up again. I'm going to ask you to leave your place, come find a place in this old-fashioned altar, or turn around and make your seat the altar. Get out in the aisle and kneel, but I'm going to ask you to get on your knees, not, not for me, but for the Holy God. If you're not able to kneel and you're able to stand, then in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand and make your prayer to God so that all around this place, on our face, on our feet, we talk to the Lord. Oh, God, seal the truth to our hearts tonight. Make the change in us that needs to be made. And may we not soon forget what we have experienced by the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll count to three and ask you to find your place of prayer. One, two, three. Quickly, quietly. Would you find a place, leave your place? If you can kneel, find your place to kneel before the Lord. If you can't kneel but you can stand, stand. If you can't do either, sit and pray. God understands that and so do we. But if you're able to bow before the Lord, to stand humble in His presence, and once you've found your place of prayer, I'm going to ask you not to move. Just stay where you are for a few moments. Let's all pray. I'll be quiet. You talk to God. And then I'm going to give us some things to pray for. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.